Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Ozzie Smith ready for the flip, and we're ready to start the season. Here we go. The 40-year-old shortstop, the oldest shortstop in the history of the National League to start on a ball club and on an opening day. And Ozzie Smith is indeed the wizard, and this is the land of Oz, and what a career it has been for old number one. Smith, corks one into right, down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. That goes Harris on a ground ball. Alisayev, the second for Webb, the double play. What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. Swing and a one-hop shot. Diving play by Ozzie. Long throw, you wouldn't believe it. Unbelievable. You just have to be here to see it. There's 45,000 plus, and they're giving Ozzie a standing ovation. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Good morning, Mark Rohde filling in for Matt Spiegel today, and we are thrilled to have on the show right now St. Louis Cardinals first ballot Hall of Famer, Ozzie Smith, a 13-time gold glove winner in the conversation for sure. For the greatest shortstop, if not greatest defensive player of all time. And he golfs. He is appearing on behalf <laughs> of the American Century Championship, a celebrity golf tournament. All the prize money, Ozzy, going uh, for fundraising that will be donated to social justice, COVID-19, and regional Lake Tahoe charities. Ozzy, thanks for joining us. What's going on, man? Not much, you know, just like everybody else. You know, I, I think a lot of us that play golf were very fortunate that through this uh, pandemic and uh, everything, we, we had an outlet there. I feel sorry for people who didn't have an outlet or who don't play golf, um, you know, having to stay in all the time. But, you know, this has been a tough time for everybody, and, and, and hopefully here in the very near future we'll be able to get ourselves a vaccine or something that will allow us to try and get back to some, some degree of normalcy. Yeah, I think everybody agrees with that sentiment. And it seems like, Ozzy, that you guys have covered the most important things affecting us all today. You mentioned COVID-19, but also social justice, which is incredibly Mm -hmm. important. That discussion is so relevant, and it's good to keep that discussion going right now as well. 
I want to know how the the murder of George Floyd affected you, Ozzy, as a black man growing up in America, who I'm sure has seen his fair share of some of the racism that exists in the, in this country. How did that affect you? And what did you think about the reaction to it? Well, for all of us that are African American, we, uh, we we you know we've had to deal with it at some point in time, and we understand that our conversations with our kids are a lot different than the conversations that my um, my white brothers have to, you know, have to make. But unfortunately, that's the situation that we're in. And I think that the reality of being able to see it live on television, you know, we've been saying it for a long time, um, that, you know, these, these type of things were going on. But, I, you know, I think people had a hard time believing it. But when you have a chance to see it as we saw it on television, I think it's what has brought this uprising. And, well, you know, what's great to see it is not just, just black people out there, um, protesting it's it's all our white brothers and chinese brothers and 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 everybody you know because it's it's different when you have a chance to see life taken out of somebody right before your eyes and and for a lot of people i think that that was a real reality check yeah i I agree with that's a great point man i mean i think it it is so heartening to see yes that it is not just african-americans who are out there protesting and displaying anger it is white people and people from all races as well and joining us right now on the score is the hall of famer ozzy smith i'm mark grody here on hit and run and before we get to to baseball 2020 style it is amazing to me ozzy how much baseball has changed since you were starring in the 80s i know you played until the mid 90s but those cardinals teams of which you were a part were the best example of that style of play. Like everybody, and they annoyed me, Ozzy, because I was just a 12-year-old who was a Cubs fan. Um, Everybody on those teams, yeah, it's just true, man. I've matured since then. But everybody on those teams, man, you guys were all capable of stealing like 20 to 30 bases except for the the one or two required thumpers like Jack Clark or, or Bob Horner or whomever. Um, and now it's like they're all Jack Clark and Bob Horner. Has baseball changed for the better or for the worse, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think for people that are watching baseball now, that it's it's what you get used to. You know, it's what this is what they're used to. And for people that grew up in our generation, I think that there was a real fine appreciation for for what we brought. Whether you were a Cub fan or Dodger fan or Cardinal fan, uh, it was the entertainment element that I think that that we brought because. Every day when you went to the ballpark, there was something exciting could happen. You know, one of the most exciting games I was ever a part of was uh, against the Cubs and the Cardinals, where Willie McGee had hit. I think Willie had hit for the cycle. No, it might. It was. It was during that series that he and Vince Coleman they stole four bases on one play. Vince was on first base. He steals second. Uh, Will uh, he steals second? Willie gets on. Vince takes off a thirds over slides and Willie's trailing him. Uh, Vince gets out of the rundown, and so I had the opportunity standing there watching four bases stolen on one play, and it was that type of excitement, I think, that really drew people to the type of baseball that we played. We weren't a home-run hitting team. We weren't a power-laden team, you know, so Whitey did a good job of putting people in the middle of the lineup like a Jack Clark or George Hendrick or uh, Andres Galarraga at one time mm-hmm. and Bob Horner, as you mentioned, you know, we, we only had one or two boppers, and uh, and occasionally when Joaquin Andujar pitched, you know, he always talked about there were only two power hitters on the team, him and George Hendrick. You know, <laughs> so we had, we had to deal with that all the time. But we all understood what our jobs were, and we knew that 
speed was a constant, and it was the thing that was always going to be able to put pressure on a defense. And when you look at some of the teams that we played in the 80s, and I'm talking about the, the Mets, the Cubs, who were power-laden teams and had good pitching and stuff, but we knew that as a team that if we, if we kept the game close, we were gonna. Uh, we had a good chance to win because we we caught the ball well and we ran well and we could always put that pressure on the defense and we knew that um, we we knew that we were a better defensive ball club than most of those clubs and that's what enabled us to win so much with uh, so much in the 80s. What did you think about the Sandberg game where he comes on oh, the map and yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. That that was a really really fun game to be a part of and it was the only time that that I saw Bruce Suter, you know, give up, give up home runs like that. You know, Rhino, I, I guess, had his number or whatever. And uh, that particular day, that, that was the one I was mentioning a second ago, Willie, Willie McGee had hit for the cycle. And I think they had given Willie McGee the MVP, and then they had to turn around after Rhino tied it and in the ninth, I think. And, and then the Cubs went on to win it, I think, in the 11th or 12th inning and, and stuff. But uh, that was an exciting game, and um, it, was, uh, it was fun to be a part of. Ozzy, here's the ultimate trivia question from that, and the Willie McGee thing is great. I had forgotten that he hit for the cycle in that game, but do you remember who had the game-winning hit after no, all it, of that? It, let me see. It was it, it wasn't a big name guy. Um, no, it was not. Ah, uh, God, who was? I can't think of the name now. But it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't one of the. It wasn't one of the big guys. That's for sure. No, Davy Owen. Davey Owen. A- Av Owen. Okay, okay. I knew yeah. it wasn't a big name guy, but uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was an exciting game to be a part of. And then talking about the Cubs and Cardinals, that's always been a great rivalry, and it's one of the things that when we changed uh, divisions and stuff, it uh, I think it stole one of the great rivalries in baseball and and stuff. Not that it's not exciting now, because I think people remember that, but uh, it's nothing like it was back in the '80s. Yeah, no, it, it's it is a classic, and never mind Yankees and Red Sox, man. Cubs, yeah. Cubs and Cardinals, <laughs> all the way. Um, yeah. All right, I know we have limited time with you, but I want to get through a few things here. The backflip. When did you start doing the backflip? I started in uh, 1978, my rookie year. We had to run for two miles after we finished working out, and I wasn't big on long distance running. And I was at the back of the pack. I was teammates with Gene Tennis, Raleigh Fingers, Gaylord Perry, Dave Winfield. And they gave me a hard time about being the young guy, being at the back of the pack. So uh, growing up in South Central Los Angeles, I lived across the street where they built pallets. So there was always plenty of sawdust. And that's where I learned to tumble. And I used to go to the family fun centers on Thursdays where they had trampolines in the ground. And I would flip from one trampoline to the other. And that's how I learned how to tumble. So I, I, I had developed this ability to do a round-off backflip. So to show them I wasn't tired, I did my round-off backflip. Gene Tennis, who had girls that were involved in gymnastics, wanted me to show them that I could do it at some point in time, which I wasn't able to do during the season. So the final day of the season, which was Fan Appreciation Day, he and the PR guy thought it would be a good idea for me to do it going out to my position. I reluctantly did it, and people liked it so much that they asked me to do it opening day the following year, and a trademark was born. That's awesome. Um, And... You mentioned Dave Winfield, and for people yes. who forget, you came up in the San Diego Padres organization, the team which drafted you and then eventually traded you to the Cardinals for Gary Templeton, a pretty good player in his own right. Yep. But I, I'm I tell always you, wondered, as one a of the most ta- one of the most talented players, Matt, that ever donned a pair of spikes, and 
that was a real challenge, you know, uh, coming in the in the shadow of a Gary Templeton, who to this day still is the only guy in the National League to get 100 hits from both sides of the plate. And that was one of the things that I had to guard against coming over here and asking myself whether or not I was the player that I thought I was. And, and coming over, I just made sure that I did the things that, that I could do with my God-given talent and it all worked out. You know, I think Gary got a chance to go to the World Series uh, against, uh, I think it was the Tigers um, one time, you know, after the trade and stuff. And then, of course, I had a chance to go to the series three times. So I think it worked out for everybody. That's a great way of putting it for sure. And I hadn't really thought about the, the pressure that you felt to fill his shoes. But I was also wondering, too, since you grew up for the most part, I know you're born in Alabama, but the, a lot mm-hmm. of your life was as a California kid. You grew up rooting right. for the Dodgers. You get to play for San Diego. Did it suck at first when you were when you heard you were being traded? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it did because, you know, the weather there was great, but I, I understood that if I was going to have a chance to win, at the time the organization, was, it was like a revolving door. So I realized that if I was going to have an opportunity to win, I had to go to an organization that had some type of tradition, and certainly the Cardinals, um, had they were rich in tradition with the likes of Musial, Gibson, Brock, Shane Deans, and, and, and the list goes on and, and stuff. So coming over here, there was a lot of pressure for me to, to, to be, as Whitey Herzog put it, the missing, the missing piece to the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, I wanted to come over here and perform well, but at the same time perform the way that I was capable of performing and not put so much pressure on myself that trying to do the things that a Gary Templeton could do, which he was a true 5-2 player, you know, could hit for power, average, could run like a deer, had a cannon for an arm. And, and, and the way it was explained to me one time from one of my teammates is he said that, he had a chance to play with both Gary and myself. And he said that the difference was that the completion of the play, he said, Gary would get to a lot of balls, but I, I percentage wise probably completed more plays. And, and, and that was important too. And I always took a lot of pride on being able to complete the play. I, I think a lot of guys can get to balls, but being able to make a play after you get to a ball was very important to me. Yeah, finish the play, man. You could say that in a, in a lot of sports, and you did that for sure. Um, Ozzie Smith joining us, the Hall of Famer. He is appearing on behalf of the American Century Championship, a celebrity golf tournament. All the prize money and other fundraising will be donated to Social Justice, Co- Justice COVID-19, and the regional Lake Tahoe Charities. Just a couple more minutes here with, with Ozzie Smith. I do have to ask you about the 60-game schedule. What do you think of Baseball 2020? I don't know. It's it, This is going to be interesting. I think it, all of this stuff is so new for all of us, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's important. It's important for you to get off and you, you got to play well. You got to play well for the 60 games. If you don't, you don't, you don't have a chance, but uh, you know, starting out, everybody's, everybody's the same. And I think it gives some of the lower level teams a, a real opportunity here to, if they play well, they get out of the gate and, and stuff. And it's going to, present a very interesting end to a uh, what's been a crazy year for all of us uh, so I'm looking forward to it what about the rules changes guy on second base to start extra innings in each half inning the the DH uh, maybe players re-entering games anything stand out to you as far as the rule changes go no I, I think that uh, as far as baseball is concerned I, you can't get too crazy with changing rules and stuff you know because baseball first of all has its own pace 
there's certain things that you can do to try and speed it up. And I know we've done things to try and speed it up. Some of the things that we've done, I think, have actually slowed the game down a little bit. You know, I think instant replay when we started, the concept and the idea was good. But now we, we, we instant replay every play. There's a, there's a certain uh, imperfection with the game. And, you know, that's the human element. Sometimes you're going to get it, you're going to get it wrong. Uh, the goal is to get it right, but but sometimes you get it wrong, and that's just the human element, the, the the part of the game. And I think that we're when we start talking about putting robots in and and, and <laughs> taking the human element out, it changes the game completely. So I think we have to be very very careful as we go forward here, and not change the game so much that it's not the game that we grew up uh, being a part of and loving. Last thing, Ozzie Smith, before I, I let you go, and I'm channeling young Mark Rohde again, the 11-year-old Cubs fan to me. One of, the, one of the reasons why, while I appreciated you, I resented you a little bit is because my guy, <laughs> Sean, you always kept my guy, Sean Dunstan, Sean Dunstan. From, going, <laughs> from going to the All-Star game. Did, <laughs> did you have a relationship with Sean Dunstan? What did you think of my guy, Shawan? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Sean was uh, one of, here again, one of those talented guys that had a cannon for an arm. And I felt sorry for Mark Grace a lot of times, especially on, on balls where he had to charge and throw to first base. He could actually tear the webbing out of your glove. But uh, Sean was one of those players. Actually came over and played for St. Louis for a little bit too. You know, so right. very talented, very talented guy. And, uh, you know, as I say to all of the guys that played during the time that I played, you picked the wrong time, brother. <laughs> 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 You're awesome, man. Right, Ozzy, thank you so much for uh, joining us here today, and good luck uh, with uh, the golfing. I heard you had your second-best finish last year, so make it better this year, okay? Well, I'm trying to climb the ladder there. You know, you have so many great players with Romo and, and John Smoltz and all of the guys that have won there before. Um, and, and, you know, this tournament, let me, let me say before we go, you know, the, mm-hmm. the sure. tournament has raised over some $5 million, and um, – and stuff. So it's nice to be a part of something that, that raises money and all the money, as you said, is going to this year, going to COVID-19 and social justice issues and, and the Lake Tahoe charities. And this is one of the, the, the best uh, events of the year for me. I always look forward to it and uh, such a beautiful place and so serene. And it's going to be a little different not having fans there, but, um, you know, we're going to enjoy it anyway. And it's always nice to get together with the guys. Ozzy, thank you, and that line's going to stick with me. You picked the wrong time, brother. I love it. (laughs) All right, you guys take care and be safe. All right, man. That is uh, Ozzy Smith, the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer, first ballot, which is worthy of mention, 13 gold gloves, a 15-time All-Star, and again, appearing on behalf of the American Century Championship, a celebrity golf tournament, all the prize cash, and other fundraising will be donated to social justice, COVID-19, and the regional Lake Tahoe charities. That was fun. As I told our producer Sean Anderson before he came, I was a little bit, I was a little bit nervous. And had some butterflies just because I think the way it works for those of us in the business, because we just like you listening, we we do what we do. Most of us because of our love for sports. And the age at which you are most influenced or 
um, naive to sports, I suppose, where you look really truly look up to it is when you're like in that adult, like that, I'd say 10, nine to 12 or 13, where you take it so seriously and everybody's bigger than life. So every once in a while, when we in this business interview somebody from our childhood, it just feels different. You know, I can go up to Khalil Mack and feel just fine and, you know, whatever. But when it's like, ooh, Ozzy Smith, oh my God, I have mixed emotions about Ozzy Smith. But that was, that was great. And yeah, Sean Dunstan picked the wrong time, <laughs> picked the wrong time to be a shortstop. That <laughs> was such a great line by uh, Ozzy Smith. You figure he's got to have, I mean, Ozzy's, Ozzy, that's a fancy player right there. I love what he said, though about like Ozzy Smith did not have the strongest arm in the world but he put himself in such great position to make plays and to modify that throw that it was always on but the fact that he he made such a great point we see so many shortstops who have who have unbelievable range and can get to the baseball it is in getting the baseball and making that throw from wherever you are finishing the play and Ozzy was able to to do that look Sean Dunstan was a guy who as as Ozzy mentioned, I, like Sean could go into like shallow left field, make a play, and still throw a strike to Mark Grace and probably ring up his palm when he made the throw. Uh, but you know, he he was not as smooth and did not finish quite the same way that Ozzy Smith could. And and it is only now, at this point in my life, that I can admit that. All right, this is Hit and Run. I'm Mark Rohde in for Matt Spiegel. When we return, we are going to hear from the White Sox manager, Ricky Renteria. I'm going to let you listen to it. There are two key things that I took out of about the eight or nine minutes that we are going to listen to. I want to see if you felt the same way I did. Two key things. We'll listen to it next here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's wonderful to be back. But I think these guys are going to come in and it might actually kind of excite them a little bit because, you know, not having to go through the through the snow or the rain or things like of that nature immediately leaving Arizona, um, it, it might excite them a little bit. Um, so hopefully it's a it's a positive. To be honest, I think it's something that we can use in, uh, to our advantage. White Sox manager Ricky Renteria via conference call earlier this week. As we welcome you back into Hit and Run, I'm Mark Rohde, in for Matt Spiegel. Thanks again to Ozzy Smith, the Hall of Famer, for coming on. It was really fun to speak with him, and I could have gone a lot longer with him, but we did have a limited amount of time to speak to Smith. I didn't 
I didn't realize the pressure that he had felt going from San Diego to St. Louis to replace Gary Templeton, but it makes sense. Like, Gary Templeton was not a nobody. He was a good player, probably a little bit ahead of, at that time, offensively, than Ozzie Smith. Smith was a guy who was... Like, when he started, he was about as light-hitting as as you can get. I mean, he was just a little slappy hitter who got better and better and better every year with with the bat, but he made his name as a superstar, absolute superstar um, defender in Major League Baseball. So I hope you enjoyed that, and if you didn't get to hear it, just jump on your radio.com, easy to download, it's free. You can go back to 10 o'clock this morning and listen to it at any time, or go on our website, 670thescore.com. We'll eventually have that up and running on the on the website via podcast, so you can listen to the Hall of Famer, Ozzie Smith. All right, let's get into some more White Sox talk, specifically with the skipper of the Chicago White Sox, Ricky Renteria, who was a guest on our Inside the Clubhouse show this past Saturday with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. And they start off, oh, with David Haw, that's right. What's up, Paul? Haw was in there as well. And the first topic that we will delve into right now is that of Carlos Rodon. Well, gosh, I mean, he's he's been down a little while. I mean, I... For me, uh, Los is, is unique in that I think he's capable of starting, relieving. He, he's, he can do any number of things. I think that the, the most important thing for all of us, and this is uh, just me thinking uh, long-term for these guys, is to make sure that they're truly healthy and, and able to perform. And we'll figure out where we need to go. I mean, it is a short season, as everybody knows. Uh, but uh, I think uh, a well-thought-out, uh, understanding of, of what we need in a particular moment. I think moments now are going to be probably more important than thinking, you know, two, three, or four weeks down the road. I think now it's going to be, you know, tomorrow and the next day, you know, what can we actually do here in a particular situation with a particular guy? I think um, it's going to put us in a place uh, to be, again, creative, uh, try to take advantage of the things that these guys are going to be capable of doing and make sure that we're doing it while they're cap- truly capable of doing it without putting them in harm's way. So, Ricky, the craziest thing I've heard in a long time is uh, maybe some uh, people at MLB sitting around with nothing to do in the offseason come up with the idea of um, putting a man at second base to start an inning uh, after – teams have fought their butts off for nine innings and have a tie game to conclude a game. Uh, Many people do not agree with my opinion and think that it's an interesting aspect and it'll be entertaining. I find it uh, totally alien to what baseball is all about. What's your opinion on that? Well, listen, I I get, I get truly, I get, I don't, I don't want to be the, you know, I always get my, I think I try to get, stay out of trouble, but you know, I've always thought, what was the purpose? Uh, what was the reasoning behind? And if we all think about it, the reasoning behind putting a runner at second base is to try to expedite the conclusion of a ball game. Well, and and to minimize, the thought was also because it, it would it would potentially minimize the use of of uh, pitchers. You know, you can you can use pitchers in extended form. And uh, so there, there's a thought that a major league club, you know, with a runner on second base has a greater chance in later innings to try to conclude, conclude the game. 
But what happens, so I, I start thinking through it, and I go, okay, if that's the purpose, uh, the only way you can actually, uh, you know, try to minimize having to be able to use a lot of relief core, a lot of pitchers and what have you, you have to put a finality to the game. There's an assumption that when you put a runner on second base with nobody out, that there's going to be a finality sooner rather than later. And there's many ways you can do it, tactically speaking, strategically speaking. But what happens if it doesn't? Now you go still 11. You know, the idea of it is 10th inning, 11th inning. Okay, now you go to 12th and 13th, and everybody's going, okay, what's going on here? You know, on the 15th, 16th, and you're still starting with the runner on second base. I get the idea of it. I truly do. And, and yeah, it could be exciting. It may change the way people, you know, the, the homer may not be the, the biggest thing you want all of a sudden in the 10th inning. All of a sudden, little ball maybe comes into play a little bit more. But for me, if, if you really want to uh, minimize the potential usage of your relief core uh, and putting guys out for a while, play a finite game. If you, if you play 11 innings and it's still tie, you use other forms of, of uh, a point system to graduate to, to give uh, an advantage to a particular club in a tie game after 11. That way you're assured that you're not going to use or blow through your bullpen. Uh, the assumption is, though, that and, – and it very well plays itself out. The assumption is that we're on second base to start an, an extra inning ball game that – Sooner rather than later, and hopefully more sooner than later, you'll be able to finish a ball game, and and uh, you'll have a winner and a loser, um, and minimize the use of a bullpen. Those are my thoughts. I mean, it's it's unique. It's uh, and I get it. Everybody, that's the whole point, I guess. I guess the whole point is if we use it now, we'll determine whether mm-hmm. the games do truly end in the tenth and eleventh because we've given a, a club uh, an opportunity to be able to put themselves in a position to potentially score a run uh, sooner rather than later and that way, you know, minimize open usage. Does that, I hope that makes sense. It does yeah, I think sense. next they're, they're going to be telling the, the hitter to call what field he hits to. And if he doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't hit it to right or center, he's out. So, um, you know, tr- dramatic changes in the game. Go ahead, David. I'm, Bruce I'm is done grumpy, ranting. Ricky. I'm done. I'm done. Like I'm done, done ranting. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ricky, as we look at some of these extra inning situations, or we look at moments that you referred to, we look at kind of key spots down in in the pennant race. I think when organizational depth is such a strength of the White Sox, could you envision being a veteran manager as you are, thrusting a guy you just drafted, like Garrett Crochet, into a high-leverage situation? Or maybe it's Andrew Vaughn who's making his Major League debut in the midst of a pennant race. How reluctant would you be? Or is that just one of these realities that, that you might have to embrace as well because those guys might be in a position to help you in those specific moments? That The, the latter. I think that um, you, never, you, never, uh, you never say never. I mean, <clears throat> at some point in time, the, the thinking about when you mentioned Lucas said you're, you're always developing – the thinking, the thinking behind using guys in certain situations is to allow them an opportunity, first of all, because you trust their skill. Secondly, the emotion of it is something that players always have to grapple to be able to control, to be able to slow things down and, and have a situation in which they give themselves the best chance for success. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a false thinking that there's a guarantee that if you do something with a particular player that, uh, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, now, 
you think in likelihood, I guess in percentages or what have you, you got a guy that's had experience for an extended period of time, has probably lived through those types of moments. But then you're going to have guys that have have to have that experience as well, and they're thrust into a particular uh, position. You never know. They, they may come through. The, the, tr- the reality is that the skill set is there and uh, the expectation and, and anybody's thinking when you're managing, the expectation is not that somebody's going to fail in the opportunity that they're being granted. The expectation is that they're going to have success because truly if you manage always worried about failure, you shouldn't be managing. The, the, the reality is you have to, you have to trust the players that you have. And at the end of the day, we're all going to be judged by what we do or don't do or the decisions we make or don't make. I'm, I'm just a baseball guy. And I know the advantages that are given to players and the opportunities that are presented to them that will continue to allow them to grow. And by the way, if they do happen to have success, how much of a buildup is that for them as well? So right. you always your expectation on, on, on players uh, is that they're going to have success, not that they're going to fail. And, um, you know, and all of us, you know, uh, that have been around it a long time um, and and a manager uh, uniquely has to make a decision. And when he makes that decision, um, he'll have to answer for the the success or failure. And and that's a part of the game as well. Uh, I think that every moment is unique. Every player is unique. An understanding of who you have is unique. I think that, uh, again, hopefully, the expectation, you know, I know that people don't like the word hope, but the expectation is that uh, you're giving yourself the best opportunity for a player to do what he's supposed to do when you choose him uh, and put him in a position uh, to hopefully have success. That is White Sox manager Ricky Renteria right here on the score with Bruce Levine and David Hall inside the clubhouse this past Saturday. So just, uh, I guess that had been yesterday. Oh, my God. Um, I'm Mark Rohde. This is Hit and Run. I'm in for Matt Spiegel today. Two things popped off the page in this interview with Ricky Renteria. Number one was the very beginning of the segment that we played, and that's Carlos Rodon, who, quite frankly, I did not think would be back with the White Sox in a Sox uniform this year. And Renteria mentioning him as a bullpen guy. That was kind of a casual reference to that, and that caught my attention for sure. It has been a rough career for Carlos Rodon. Drafted third overall by then-GM Kenny Williams, and that was back in, in 2014, big league debut in 2015 and then here we go 2016 carlos rodon dl with a wrist sprain 2017 only 12 starts 2018 began the season on the 60 day disabled list it's like this crescendo of bad injuries 2019 in march things were starting to look up he was named the opening day starter but then by may of 2019 tommy john surgery and that is where we are right now when Carlos Rodon has been a starting pitcher he's been really good when he's been allowed to go I like his style I like his stuff but he is exactly injury prone there's nothing freakish about it he gets injured and it's too bad but I do like this 
in terms of a way to use Carlos Rodon where maybe you get something out of him. I don't expect him to start. I just don't. I mean, right now in that Sox rotation, you know you have Giolito and Keuchel and Dylan Cease and Reynaldo Lopez. Gio Gonzalez is there. I don't know how healthy he's going to stay, but Michael Kopech, who from everybody that I've talked to, said that he will be part of the starting rotation from game one of 60 this year. So I don't know that there's room to slide Carlos Rodon in, and why not add him to the bullpen? You know, what a, what a tandem of lefties that would be with Aaron Bummer and Carlos Rodon. Sox have one more year of control over Carlos Rodon, and then, I mean, I I would imagine he won't be on the White Sox and that he would be a classic reclamation project as a starter. I think he will still try to be, I mean, he's 27. Kyle Schwarber's age. He will be a classic reclamation project starter for a different team down the line. One that has the the ability to take a chance on Rodon. And I don't know that that should be the White Sox job to take a chance, to continue to take a chance when they have so many other young pitchers um, in whom they must advent, uh, probably eventually invest big bucks. And it doesn't make sense at this point to keep Rodon. And it's too bad. It's too bad because Everything, all signs point to when he has had chances to start, he's been really good, seems like a really good guy, seems like a leader, seems like he's outspoken to some degree, all good things, but it just may not be a fit for the White Sox going forward. The other part that I found interesting about Ricky Renteria is when Renteria talked about himself and his you know, expectations for himself and, and success and failure because this is the first year now that Ricky Renteria can be under a true microscope as if he wasn't in his first couple of years with the White Sox because I know a lot of Sox fans don't like the way he runs ball club all the time. He seems more National League than American League. Um, his, Including his one year on the north side, heading into his fourth year now on the south side, Ricky Renteria's record is 274 and 373. It's a 423 winning percentage. This is, again, though, the first year with the Sox where there is real expectation to win. There was no expectation for Renteria to win for the Cubs in 2014 when it was Nate Shearholtz and Edwin Jackson, Ayers Mendy Alcantara, Darwin Barney. I like Darwin Barney. Um, same with the, the White Sox. It's not you're not throwing Matt Davidson out there. Avisel Garcia is securely in Milwaukee these days. Miguel Gonzalez does not have to be a starter for the White Sox. So um, this roster, there is going to be pressure on Ricky Renteria. It's amazing, though, how measured the GM of the White Sox is, though, Rick Hahn, in that he, at every turn, every opportunity he has gotten, he has rightfully reminded everybody that this is the next step in the rebuild, and he does not necessarily think it is. this is the year where the Sox are supposed to win the World Series. That would probably be next year. Now, if surprises happen and everybody sprouts just the way the Cubs did in 2015 leading into 2016, then great. But while there is definitely pressure on the Sox to not be a 72-win team, even though I know, Sox fans, listen, I know, I know that deep down inside you are expecting big, big things this year from the White Sox. 
it, this is this is still not the year in which they are truly expected to thrive. There's still too much that has to be developed on this team, including Luis Robert, whom we all think is going to be great, but we don't know. We don't know that for sure. We don't know what Dylan Cease is still, and I'm going to talk more about Dylan Cease a little bit later on. We don't know if Ronaldo Lopez is going to get back to that 2018 guy we have no idea about Michael Kolpak does does he stay healthy is he a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball then there is as much as you think you know about the White Sox there is a lot that is still unknown about the the Chicago White Sox and there is much good but not enough for me to look at the White Sox and say yeah that's an absolute slam dunk team I do like with the Sox that there, there, there will be no, there better not be any debate over who the opening day starter is. That'd be Lucas Giolito for sure. Maybe, maybe honorable mention to to Dallas Keuchel just because he's Dallas Keuchel, and Dallas has been there. But it's got to be Lucas Giolito. I mean, that would just be, that's that's symbolic of the White Sox next level, which Giolito clearly got to last year. So it's got to be Giolito doing it the thing that was most impressive about Giolito last year was I think his best start was probably the the one of his best starts was early in the season I want to say May when he went into Houston all nine innings shut out the Astros a formidable team which had ways ways of knowing what the next pitch is going to be they had their ways um and then later in the season you know he wasn't as good post all-star break as he was pre but then he had one more game where he shut out Minnesota I think that was in August so when you see a guy thrive early in the season and then apparently not tired late in the season that's when I knew when he threw the shutout against Minnesota another great offensive team record amount of home runs when I saw that then I'm like okay this guy's legit because that was the only question about Lucas Giolito all of last year is this legitimate or is this just you know some sort of spasm of greatness that's going to go away I think Lucas Giolito is for real will he be top 10 Cy Young every every year probably not but I do think he's a legit one or two in a starting rotation and he best be the opening day starter opening day starter for the Cubs Ooh, it's it's one of two guys in my opinion you Darvish or, or Kyle Hendricks I'd go Kyle Hendricks just because of body of work and if you want to you know give it to a guy who is more deserving has done more with the Cubs for the Cubs I think it's Kyle Hendricks but maybe symbolically you go with you you go with you Darvish just because he's the guy like I talked about earlier you Darvish has to be great I think Kyle Hendricks has to be great too because there we don't know maybe, maybe John Lester is good to great this year who knows who knows but you can't you, you can't constantly expect Lester to keep up the pace that he was at prior to last year when he kind of struggled last year with a four and a half ERA Lester's getting older, skills diminish, um, and you know what Jose Quintana is. He is a number four starter in Major League Baseball. That is, he is where he should be, and does does Tyler Chatwood get to where the Cubs wanted him to be when they signed the contract away from the Colorado Rockies, and then he had that crazy yippy year? But there's only two guys who I think have potential to have great years, and those are you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks, and they have to be. They have to be in order for the Cubs to uh, to thrive. So yeah, there there will be good old fashioned who's the starting the opening day starter for the Cubs, but I don't think that that is going to exist on the on the White Sox side of the world. Coming up here on Hit and Run, top 
top of the hour. We will talk to Mark Gonzalez. He covers the Chicago Cubs for the Chicago Tribune. I'm looking forward to talking to him about designated hitter and David Ross and a potential six-man rotation for the Cubs when they get going in the 60-game blast of a season. At 11.40, we will talk to Bruce Levine, our score baseball insider, talk about both sides of town and zoom out, too, and get his perspective on the rest of Major League Baseball. I'm Mark Rohde. In for Matt Spiegel, this is Hit and Run on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. The pace has picked up. Uh, dramatically. And, and I would just say we were very close to a deal. And I, I mentioned this uh, right around the end of our spring training uh, in Arizona, uh, as we were wind, you know, rounding the bend on, on the last uh, you know, quarter mile on the, on the spring training season. Uh, and then they stopped quite honestly, the, with the, with the closure of our spring training sites and the, the possibility that baseball wouldn't return for, for the season, the pace of our conversations with Comcast uh, did, did slacken. Uh, those have picked up dramatically, and, and including as of Friday, uh, new term sheets being exchanged and then conversations happening this week. So um, I, I would expect we do reach a, a, an agreement with Comcast, in particular as we see uh, the potential for some spring training games, uh, potentially with the White Sox coming even ahead of the July 24th, July 23rd or 24th opening day. Um, but yeah, so uh, pace has picked up and we're uh, optimistic we'll get something done here soon. Uh, I wish they would not have stopped once baseball stopped. I wish they would have used that time, Xfinity, to continue negotiating with the Cubs. Because I, I still have no idea what Marquee Network looks like. I am one of those many, many people in the city of Chicago who have Xfinity by Comcast. That is the, the television, the system from which I work every single day of my life. So I, like many of you, are hoping that that gets done in short order. It really, for the first time, it does truly sound like it's going to happen. It's always possible that they could hit a snag, but I'm going to guess that we're day to day on this at this point. And the fact that Crane Kenny, and that was his voice, the Cubs president of business operations, Crane Kenny, on the score with Dan Bernstein, was not only saying that he's optimistic about the, the idea of them getting a deal done with Xfinity by Comcast, but also that he talked about the potential of even having a couple of the spring training games on that are still to come against the White Sox. So it's not, not just a last second opening day, here's Marquee Network, you may even get a little taste of it prior to it and um yeah so that that comes back into talk and people wondering if that's going to happen i do i do get the because i've heard crane county on before and it always sounded like there was a lot of conflict with cubs and with xfinity and this is the first time where it just seemed like the entire time he was speaking on the radio that it it sounded optimistic and it didn't have that there it didn't have a caveat sound to it so We'll stand by, and we will, of course, here at the score, we will let you know the second that news comes. My guess is that Mitch Rosen probably has some sort of big voice sounder ready to go once that news drops, because that is going to be big news for sure. Talking Cubs with Mark Gonzalez in just a little bit. A few of your text messages at 312-644-6767 is the number uh, from the 864. Finally, he has the talent. And this is just the beginning or not even that for a half a year. Didn't understand the rest of that, but I assume that he's talking about Ricky Renteria. Yes, Renteria finally has 
the talent. There's still there still is some development that needs to be done. This is not a made team yet, but. Yes, Ricky Renteria has more of the raw materials that he needs to form a credible team on a daily basis with his starters, with his fielders, and a bullpen. And I don't know, I, I guess, I haven't asked this question, but I, you know, you can, you don't have to necessarily pace your bullpen, guys. And you really have to consider those, those, your three most valuable receivers where you can get them up and running a lot. And that for the Sox would be C. Sheck and Colome and Bummer. And the Cubs side of the world, oh boy, Craig Kimbrell and Ro- I love Rowan Wick. Rowan Wick might just be the closer for the Cubs this year. Wick. Um, Jeremy Jeffress, just remembered, he's on the Cubs this year. Old Kyle Ryan's still around. So those three or four guys, three guys I mentioned for the Sox, are going to be key components to the season. And also, in turn, you're going to have the luxury of maybe, maybe allowing your starters to go longer and these are going to be team decisions there's going to be a lot of collective strategy that's going to go on with every all 30 teams in in major league baseball for sure uh, 708 wouldn't this be the perfect season to have home run derby to end a game limit pitcher use limit player player exposure and how much better could you show off than having a home run derby well thinking about it it would be extremely entertaining you are right that is that is next level progressiveness though if you're talking about baseball i think about the shootout in hockey even four on four to a lesser i love the shootout i think some people say it's a gimmick it's not hockey i actually think that when you talk about the the shootout in hockey it's like essence of sport it's mano a mano it's man against man your best against my best my best goalie against your best players everybody takes turns until there is a winner so i think it's actually the antithesis of not being sport i think it is the essence of sport i don't know that a home run derby is the essence of sport necessarily though so um what you're gonna have you're gonna have uh, your your pitching coach come out there and throw is tommy hotovy gonna be the guy throwing to Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant is you're going to bring in Mr. Rizzo or Mr. Mr. Bryant better yet to come in and throw and every game will be heartwarming. Um, now I, I like it though. You guys are thinking progressively for sure about, uh, the great game of baseball all right coming up next hour another big hour mark gonzalez and bruce levine will be a part of it you are welcome to be a part of it as well 312-644-6767 that's where you can call us that is where you can text us and you can find me on twitter as a matter of fact during the break i officially changed my name to at mark grody sports that is my new name it is also my twitter handle just makes it very easy i'm bundling too i've bundled my name and my twitter you can call me at mark grody sports i am in for matt spiegel on hit and run on chicago sports radio 670 the score we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.